0: Welcome to The Drummer's Pathway, the podcast about music, life, and the creative process. Hello, I'm Michael Scott, and welcome to The Drummer's Pathway podcast. This episode features my conversation with drummer Jeff Salem. Based out of Brampton, Ontario, Jeff is an internationally recognized drummer and educator whose resume includes working with artists such as Fist, Sword, Saints and Sinners, Lee Aaron, Randy Bachman, Canadian Idol winner Kaylin Porter, guitarist Rob Tardick, and many more. He is currently the drummer for the renowned tribute act Epic Eagles. In addition to being in demand as a drummer, he is actively involved with music education and many school boards performing percussion workshops and clinics to students of all grades. He also maintains a roster of private students. Jeff has written a number of instructional books, including the book Finding Success as an Individual Artist, which is a guide to developing and maintaining a successful career in the arts. Jeff is also the owner of the Salem's Lot Scary Hot Sauces Company. In our conversation, we discussed the importance of diversifying and building relationships in order to maintain a successful career. And now, my conversation with Jeff Salem. Looking back, I believe the first time we actually met was at a Sabian Education Network event at Humber College a number of years back where you were a panelist. And I remember the event because all of the panelists were teachers of mine. But at that time, I really enjoyed chatting with you and I bought a copy of your book, which was Finding Success as an Individual Artist, which I have read a number of times. And I'd really like to get into some of the concepts that you wrote about
1: in that book. I, um, it was funny because today I was just thinking about when we met and I thought about that time at Humber College. I said, yes, that's where it was. And that was a good evening. It was a great panel of people. It's just nice to be under one roof with so many great drummers, you know, and, and people who are inspired to want to keep learning and enthusiastic about it it was an event
0: that was designed for educators that was being presented by some established educators. And it was really a chance to kind of learn some different concepts. Cause one of the things that I often find is that there's a perception that you know, you want to be a musician, so you become a musician, and then you work. But there's a whole bunch of different steps along the way that in okay. order to be successful, you really need to focus on a lot of these different steps. And that's something that I find that you have done exceptionally well outlining some business steps that you have taken and some experiences that you have in order to kind of give people a direction so what was your inspiration originally for writing the book finding success as an individual artist
1: um so that that whole process began back in 1995 i started doing school programs where i would come in with my drum set and i would just talk to students in the music class and that would expand eventually from the music class to the band class an entire school And then I called that program Music is My Passion. I would share, like, life skills that any person in the art form wants to, you know, aspire to be successful. And I would share just life experiences of of moments where there was failures or stuff that they needed to work on and improve. And throughout the course of maybe several years of doing that program, I had a lot of school teachers and, and principals at school says, you know, you got a lot of good stories. You should, like you know, you should put them on paper and document them. And, you know, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm focused on doing drum books at the time and Mm -hmm. uh, drum videos. And I kept hearing that repeated over and over and over. And I think it was back in like 215. I just had one principal says, you know, you got a lot of really cool stories. You should really think about doing that and putting them on paper. And I think at the time when I started writing that was during a time where I was dealing, unfortunately, when my father passed away, and I was dealing a lot of time taking him to the hospital. He was dealing with, you know, cancer treatment and stuff. And, you know, he was given a short life to live like six months, but he fought that for like 18 months. And um, so, you know, during the whole time there waiting, he had to go through a lot of procedures. I just brought my laptop just to kind of get in a an element in a different world away from it was just a very depressing environment. And I just started writing some of these stories. I let him read them, stuff like that. And that was a big part where I started documenting a big part of the book was actually at a hospital, you know, just waiting if my dad had like, treatment that I couldn't be a part of that treatment. So I'm waiting in a waiting room for an hour. So I pulled up the laptop. Started writing. So once I collected a whole bunch of different ideas, and before I you know, thought about pressing it into a book, um, I actually took a couple just sample chapters, and I sent it out to a lot of different people of different occupations. Some were CEO of companies, some were principals, at schools. A lot of mutual friends that we had in the drumming community. Of course, the late, great Dom Famulero was mm-hmm. one of them, and Joe Bergamini. So I must have sent that to like eight or ten people and said, listen, I'm, no one knows me. I'm not a rock star. stuff. I'm not writing a memoir. I'm not like, you know, you know, Chad Smith from the Red Dot Chili Peppers. I'm Jeff Salem. No one's really going to know who I am. But is the material interesting enough to keep somebody's attention? So when I send that to a lot of different people in the industry, they says, yeah, it's humorous, too. It's very humbling, stuff like that. And I said, okay. And the idea of that was just, it, it was something for me to reflect back on my youth and with my parents and learning to play the instrument, but also to share something with the public, whether you want to be a comedian, want to be a, a, a magician or be a, an owner of a restaurant. There's those same tools that have to apply. And the concept of that was that when I started back doing school programs, it's like now I had something to present to the kids that they can take home with them. So that was the whole idea behind that. And that's what inspired that. You know, obviously, music teachers, principals of school says, hey, you have something interesting here. And then finding an opportunity when to do it. And, and like you said, if you don't schedule it, I actually have to st- start scheduling, you know, yeah, I'll write a book. Yeah. I'll write a book. But I actually said, okay, this week, I'm going to write this chapter this week. I'm going to write that. You have to do it or else you'll never get done. Mm-hmm. You know, it will just never get done. You know, um, you know, it, I wrote the book, I guess it was like now that was two Gosh, wow. We're going on eight years, you know, there's there's new things i would definitely add to it because i've had people say hey would you do a part two i i think i would just maybe do an extension on it because i could definitely see myself writing another like 30 40 50 pages to extend on off of that Um, so so do a do a second edition per se yeah exactly yeah just to modify and and um there's a few things i would just change i mean i think the thing is i try to write that so it was more of um Uh, like, like, you know, the way technology is now, everything changes. I I wanted to have no expiration date on the information, you know. So I try to keep the information pretty relevant to, that could be applied like a decade ago, a decade from now, and stuff. So I try to keep it very neutral in that respect. Where sometimes, you know, you read a book, it's like, oh my gosh, somebody's making a reference to you know, VHS tapes (laughs) something like that. It's like, what's that, right? You know.
0: What I particularly liked about the book is being a drummer and a student myself is that when you're coming up through this, your vision of success is what you perceive on TV or what you see at concerts. And and when you ask people about how to achieve success, they generally tell you work really hard to develop your skill set and work hard to get opportunities. That's great information. But that's not enough information mm-hmm. how do you develop opportunities what should i work on you know you can learn 17 different styles of music but if you've mm-hmm. never learned how to talk to someone in a business context The skills required to learn communication skills and building those relationships is almost more essential in some ways than the development of your skill set as a musician. Because once you start getting into the business world, the perception is that you already are going to have the skill set to do the job. So what you need to do and something that I have struggled with a lot throughout my career and there are times where I really wish I could go back and follow some of the advice that I learned from your book about interacting with musicians and how to really kind of build those connections. I spent a lot of my time really relying on the connections and the work that I got through other people giving me opportunities, but I never really made the opportunities myself to go out and seek those ones because I felt like I didn't have that skill set. And when you're relying on everyone else and not really learning to take those steps, mm-hmm. then that can be very limiting. And that's something I
1: think you outlined very well. You, you have you have to have like, like a level of confidence. Like a lot of people ask me, especially like these drum programs I do at daycares, like I've been doing these now for over 20 years and he says, how? like. How did that even come around? Like, you know, if you would have asked me 30 years ago when I had hair down to my waist and doing these big tours and concerts, like if I looked in the crystal ball and I saw myself in a gymnasium with a whole bunch of children that if I add all their ages up, they're still younger than me. And I'm presenting like a comical show for them. Uh, I be like. There's no way that's going to happen. So, you know, and it was a quote i always remember, you know, what Don Bambolaro said, take the road of least resistance or most resistance. If you want to be successful, you have to challenge that. So, like, just to, I'll give you, like, an example, like a a simple opportunity. People said, "Here's here's an opportunity that I could have just let it go or try to make something from it. So I try to look at always every situation, hmm, this can grow to something. So back in 2002, I mean, I broke my elbow. It was a motorcycle accident. I come home. I have a cast on. It's winter. It's this time I get the cast off. And one of my uh, former teachers who's working with me, he was a student of mine. You know, we finally went out. I got my cast off. I him my bike to eat. And he says, oh, I got to just drop off at my mother's daycare and, and pick some stuff up. And uh, went in there. And there was like a couple kids and they're running around the gym doing some stuff. I go. I go, is this all the kids do for a couple hours? And they go, yeah. I go, so after school, school ends at 3.30. Parents pick them up at anywhere from that time up until 6 o'clock. So do you have any programs for them? He goes, no. I go, well, listen, I, I got a bunch of shembes in my car. I mean, I just got my cast off. I go, well, why don't I bring some in? We'll just have some fun. You know, I haven't drummed in like two months because I have this damn cast on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was just like drumming with these kids and the, the head – supervisor of the daycare goes oh my god this is a great opportunity he goes we, we could benefit from it he goes oh do you have a contact number can I contact this daycare organization's head number blah 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 so I called cold call and I said hey I was at such and such school I did this thing uh these kids seemed to have fun they were interested and they had no idea what this was that I was offering he goes well it seems kind of vague can you explain to us it goes yeah let me send you an email I go but the best thing is for you to see it. Mm -hmm. And I was already booked at certain schools doing these programs, but I wanted to try to invite them to something that they could see me working with children, not because most of the stuff I was doing back then was high school level. So I did have something booked at an elementary school with grade fives and sixes. And I invited these people from the daycare to come see this. And they were blown away by this. And so it's so funny. So that daycare organization, I was their first person to bring in the program. And for me, they took that opportunity and they've developed, they've invited. Now they expanded to 30 other different programs. You know, somebody might do like Zumba dance and somebody might do puppeteer. Somebody might do singing songwriting with guitar. I'm the drum guy, Mm -hmm. the drum man. So, Again, that was just an opportunity where I could easily just walked away from it. Somebody said, "Oh, this is a cool thing you're doing with these kids there." Ah, uh, no, it's just I'm just having fun. I just got my cast off. So, so you got to have an open mind, and it's it's up to you. Do you want to do that? Is it something you want to go down that road to? You know, uh, just just kind of like how when they, you know, when you came last time I saw you was when you came to the Epic Eagle show. Yes. And you know how that whole thing came together is Dean, the lead singer, who's a phenomenal singer, talented musician, plays guitar, drums, everything. Him and I met when he was in a former Eagles tribute. Him and I met on the road. I was in a journey tribute and we just became friends in different concerts around the same bill. And when uh, he left that project, I just reached out to him an opportunity. I said, listen, you know, uh you might be a little tired of doing Eagles right now, but maybe down the line, if you're thinking of wanting to put together an Eagles tribute, I think you're the best Don Henley out there, give me a call and we'll assemble this group. And six months later he called me and him and I started piecing that band together. So do you see like 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 having an open mind and open your eyes and open your ears to think opportunity, opportunity, where, where, where can I go with this stuff? You know, in any situation, and again, it doesn't have to be music. It's some creative thing, just like my hot sauce business. I mean, I started making hot sauce in 2009. I mean, there wasn't many guys doing that. Maybe a dozen guys in Canada. Now, I mean, the market's just so saturated with hundreds and hundreds of people do it. I still do it and I have fun doing it. And I've turned it into a business. You, You take something, if you see an opportunity to do something, You kind of run with it, you know, so so that, you know, just to give you an example of how it took this daycare situation. So now these new programs that I'm actually doing now is a whole other daycare that hired me 15 years ago. And I kept a great relationship with them, but they never had the budget. Now they have budget from the city. And now, believe it or not, they have booked me on over 100 workshops from now till the end of June. You know, it's like, like every day, tomorrow, I'm at two different schools. Today, I was at two different schools working with kids. Um, Again, keeping that door open because, you know, 15 years ago, when they said to me, goes, hey, you know, we don't really have a budget of this anymore, but it was great working with you. I says, hey, if everything's changed down the line, keep me in mind. That was in 2008 or nine, And now it's like come full circle again. So... Gotta keep that you gotta keep that door open and never shut it, never be jaded, never be mean, never be angry and stuff like that. I mean, you know, every gig has their lifespan. That's that's a whole thing. There's always gonna be some type of an expiration date. You know, we've all probably done house gigs. I remember, you know, doing house gigs where I had a regular gig every Sunday playing a specific nightclub. And you know there's gonna be a time where that's gonna come to the end. But I always find when one door closes Something else always opens up. It 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 always seems about way if you keep that open-minded
0: thought. No, I, I remember years ago there was a club in town that had a regular, I think it was a Thursday night house gig, and they had the same house band that had run this for a long time. and It was always the same people every week that would show up and play the same songs. It was a jam night and it was a great opportunity for the people that were looking for that. But I remember um, getting hired to do, I think the very last one because the drummer had quit and I had worked with the guitar player before. So he called me to come in. And I remember walking into the the club. I, I remember seeing the sound guy, leaning over the soundboard looking like he was about to take a nap just sort of shaking his head and I walked up to him and sort of tapped him on the shoulder and I said hey how's it going and we had worked together before and he was like oh th- this is so nice to see he said I'm just I've I've literally been living this day over and over and over again because it's the same songs every week and it's the same yeah, guest yeah. every week he said so the fact that you're here means that it's something different and that was really about you know like you said sometimes there are certain gigs that just kind of have their expiry date but yeah. you have to embrace the opportunities That's right when they exactly. when when they come along and then mm-hmm. be open to new opportunities you know as you're learning and developing these skill sets so where did your business sense? come from?
1: You know, I've always had a business mind, like, 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 even when I was young, and my parents always just told me that, um, you know, because, you know, there's that stigma attached to musicians that, you know, you got your craft together, but, you know, sleep all day, don't do anything. Um, I just, at a very young age, Michael, I've always wanted to be independent. I never wanted to depend on something. So even like when I was 18, 19 years old, I moved out of the house. You know, I'm doing these big gigs, doing some big touring stuff with band. But it was not enough money to sustain as an income to live by yourself. So I said, well, I want to have a job. I want to have I want to have a car. I want to have my own place eventually. So I knew I had to get these I call them pit stop jobs let's let's say mm-hmm. per se, and i and I honestly, I've done everything you can imagine pumping gas to making cheese for craft dinner to driving taxi to doing this to doing that so the first thing I could say with the business mind is that there's a level of responsibility, so if I had to be at work at eight a m it doesn't matter. They don't care what I'm doing the night before. You know, I could be gigging in London, Ontario the night before and crawl into bed at 3 a.m. and have four hours sleep. They just want to make sure that I'm there on the job. So there is the first level of, of the business thing is that being responsible, being on time and showing up to the job. So that was something that was always in me, like even when I was 12 years old, having a paper route, I come home, I deliver the Toronto Star. Okay, I got to get these newspapers out before 6pm. So I I would say that would be the first thing of that. And then I've always had a, you know, conscious in my mind is that then I worked in a grocery store that, you know, I never called in sick, I Mm -hmm. never like if I had a shift, it was just part time. I knew so many other people wanted that shift, so I wanted to be there. I never want, you know, somebody calls, hey, we got tickets for such and such concert. Oh, man, I got this work shift. You know, sure. I would see if I could in advance, see if I could change a shift. But if not, I'm committed to that. So I think that would be the first thing as a teenager. I, I understood the commitment of responsibility. I have a job to do. I got to be there. That that would have been where the first thing you know, where all my business things kind of came together and stuff like that. And then what I realized is as I kept growing in, in any situation, like even even like at the grocery store, you know, there let's say there was a cancellation or somebody called in sick. My boss would call me and I was always getting first calls for a lot of these shifts. And I'm like, OK, and I think, like, why am I getting these calls you know, and eventually, time like well, I have a good track record. I'm never calling in sick. I'm pretty responsible. And every time he called me, I would pretty much say yes to that mm-hmm. as an opportunity. So then I started finding out. Oh wait, the power of networking. Let's see. You know, um, they could probably hire some other employee, but let's just give Jeff more shifts on the job. So kind of taking that same business model, same thing as as a musician. You know, like like today working. Okay, so if somebody's going to call me for a gig, why are they calling me over someone else? And then I look at myself, somebody calls me and says, hey, um, Jeff, we need we need a little like kind of little R&B funk band for a wedding. What do you want? Oh, I want a horn player. So I got my list of like sax players. You know, I know all the guys that can cut the gig musically. Then the mm-hmm. next thing, I know, which guy do I know is going to show up on time and dress the proper attire if it says tuxedo with purple bow tie? He's not going to, like, you know, complain about it. He'll do it. And then the other thing is, like, who do I want to hang out? Who's going to be the cool guy on the gig, right? You know, that's that's really, really important, too. So those are are things that I looked at, and I try to adopt those, too, that if people are calling me for a gig, you know, I want them to enjoy my company. I don't want to complain about certain things because, you know, everybody's got things in life that are stressful and stuff like that. But we don't bring that to the table. We're there to work professionally, you know, um, you know, when you come seeing this with Epic Eagles, I mean, not all we have fun on stage, but we enjoy each other's company off stage. And it's very rare to find. I, I, I call it the three things in a gig. If you can have all three of these, man, that's like winning the lottery. Usually I'll accept two or three is basically in no particular word, good people, good music, good money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes, you know, somebody will call me for a gig. And I'm like, yeah, it's not my favorite type of repertoire. But, eh, uh, yeah, it's good people on the gig and it's good coin, right? But if you can find three out of three, good people, good money, good music, man, that's, that's the jackpot right there and there. So why will you get that? Well, having a good business sense, people will call you for that. Like if I'm the guy that knows the material really, really well, but I show up late all the time to the game, you know, or I forget things. Oh, guys, I forgot my hi hats then. I got to r- run down to the local music store. So if I come across this very irresponsible, just very flaky, forget it. So I just really realize that whoever's hiring you, the band leader, club owner, if you can keep things th- the lowest maintenance for them, that's it. And, and, and I'll, I'll share one thing that I, I've been using for the last couple of years that works so beneficial. And when buyers contact us and they want to book the band somewhere and and, and invite and involves dates flying. So what I do to kind of alleviate the time and pain and the headache from them is that we just got asked to do uh, a specific gig in Oklahoma coming up in the fall. And the guy says, you know, if you want to send me all the names and the passport information, I'll take care of booking the flights. And I said, I'll tell you what, you know what? Why don't I take care of that? I have all that. And he goes, really? Will you do that? He goes. Yeah. You know, it's one less thing for you to worry about. I know where everyone's schedule. I know what airport we're going to fly out of. So just taking care of something like that, little things like that go a long way. So those are the things in the business thing that who I'm going to work with you know what's the thing to keep it as simple as possible just like today i was at two schools i'm going from one school to another school now the i don't know if you had snow out there today it was snow in here, so a little bit a, yeah. sometimes when there's snow and a lot of these kids will go home early so before i went to the school i called the daycare I goes hey a lot of your kids left early because no most of them here why'd you call I goes well it's snowing out there i go just in case a lot of them left. I you know, if I'm coming to do a drumming event, my schedule says there's going to be 15 kids. I I don't want to do something if there's only two kids there. We'll just reschedule and go, well, I really appreciate you thinking of that. So so, so the, these are the things that I find, again, and it wasn't like, you know, overnight. Yeah, I got I got all my business stuff together. I mean, I'm st- we're still learning and everything like that. But you start crafting that out as you go through those experiences, right? And like... You know, as life goes on and stuff like that, I would say honestly now, like, like my ninety percent of everything I do is just referrals. It's just referrals. You know, the odd time I get Mike gets an email that somebody reaches out says, "Hey, I came across your website. I see you do drum circle corporate events." Blah blah blah. Rarely that happens. Everything there's some type of a connection the past so somebody that had a good experience working with me or with my band or with my organization that they passed that on as a referral you know
0: well and one of the things that I found also really beneficial about reading your book was there's a lot of talk about value in terms of knowing what your worth is and altering the product that you have to offer based on the opportunities and really what they're looking for and i think that's really essential to look at because a lot of times people will say as as you have discussed uh, you and i've had this conversation before people will call you up and say what do you charge for this event and Mm -hmm. you might say oh i charge you know x amount a hundred dollars for this event they're like great no problem And then you're happy because you're getting what you think is value for your product without actually knowing what it is that they're looking for. And you talk a lot about the importance of really understanding what the commitment is, understanding what the expectations are, and taking the time to determine are you the right fit and are they the right fit for you. And what that does is it increases your perception of professionalism and it also increases the value that you get out of the experience. And I know that's something that I've struggled with and that many musicians and artists that I know also struggle with really being confident about knowing what your worth is. And so I think Mm -hmm. your discussions in the book about value is really, really beneficial. Mm. So can you talk a little bit about your perspectives on that?
1: Well, so, you know, one thing that I try definitely and I've seen a lot of people do this and I've heard it for so many times where I'll go do a gig where somebody says, I hired somebody based on they said that we can do this. Uh, We yes, I have a little jazz band. Yes, we can play dinner jazz music. And the musicians that come to the gig are not schooled in that area. So they figure they could just kind of bullshit their way through. Mm -hmm. So what I've learned is I'm never going to try to sell myself if I don't have ownership on it 100 percent because of the hand rubbing stuff. So here's a perfect example. This one daycare that hired me for Christmas break. I've been working with this organization since 2004. I come in there every year. So she asked me if I'd be able to do any like indigenous drumming, native drumming. And and I was honest, I said, Listen, it's not an area of my expertise. I do own some native drums, I can talk base about, you know, the, you know, the foundation of that, but that is not my thing that do. So I'm not going, going to do a presentation. If you want somebody to do that, then you want to hire somebody who's a pro at that. I can discuss and say that, hey, here's a little bit about it. You know, we're talking about native drumming, you know, all, all these different uh, wonderful things about it and stuff, but I'm not going to get into depth on that. And because I said that, she goes, you know what, Jeff, I appreciate that. But, you know, if you want to bring some of your native drumming and share that with the kids. And and I showed them some uh, videos online of uh, different like powwow groups and different uh, tribes throughout Canada. And they appreciate as opposed to going in there and BSing my way through something like that. So there, there's where there's a strong value. Like somebody once called me and asked me if I could do an event on taiko drumming. <laughs> And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't own any taiko Japanese drums, and I don't know anything about that. I mean, it's intriguing, you know, so I'm not going to try to like, because I don't feel good about myself, my own integrity and Mm -hmm. my own value of, of trying to bullshit my way through where, you know, sometimes half the time, like a lot of people sometimes don't know exactly what they want. Like I'll get a call and somebody says, yeah, um, we'd like to have a band, you know, play like disco top 40 and we show up. And it's like the the person who's booking it, she may be a disco fan, but all their clients are my, into more instrumental stuff. And then you got to be diverse. So usually when somebody asks me that, I'm like, oh, what kind of vendors? It? Well, it's like dinner music goes while people are having dinner. They want to hear like YMCA. I don't think so. Well, it's <laughs> one of my favorite songs. I'm like, hold on. What do the clients want? Stuff like that. So I, I really find whatever I take on, um, understand what the client wants. I mean, I, I'll tell you something I just did right before Christmas. Again, an opportunity. This was the first thing. I've never done this before, and I turned this into a new program. So last summer I did an event for a company. It was a, a corporate drum circle. We did it out on Center Island. They loved it. So she called me back. She goes, hey, Jeff, for Christmas, uh, is there anything we can do? I go "Well, something similar. She goes, no, anything different. And I thought about that program I did in school. Music's my passion. So I put together a whole thing with a Christmas theme, and I divided them into groups. And, I had, you know, trivia questions like, what's the dog's name in the Grinch? What's uh, the most recorded Christmas carol? Would you believe it's Silent Night? Over 137,000 recordings. And then I divided them into groups. And in the groups, they had to come up on my drum set. One at the play some rhythm on the kid and had lyrics of songs and they had to sing Frosty the Snowman and I would give them points. Like it was just a fun thing that I said, we're going to try to create event. But before, you know, we did that, they knew exactly what I was going to present to them. And we did this fun comical thing. It went over well. I felt confident with it because I'm not going to teach and do something that I said I wasn't going to do. Um, but again, there was an opportunity there. So now from that, I'm like, oh, this is a new kind of Christmas show I, I can kind of put together and stuff like that. But like, you know, some people might call me for uh, like, like, you know, one of my favorite Canadian drummers, Mark Kelso. I don't know if you've interviewed him on. I have, here. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, he he, he plays with Ilario Duran, which I've done some gigs with Ilario in a different set. It was like a classic crooner thing doing like Sinatra. But I mean... Yes, I can play some Afro-Cuban stuff and this like that, but I would never walk in on a gig. Like, you know, if somebody says, hey, Jeff, you want to sub in for me? He goes, not a chance. Yeah. I'm not going to BS my way through it. Could I BS my way through it? <laughs> yeah, I think I could. But would I feel good about myself? No. Do you think the guys would like me as a player? Probably not. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not my thing. Well, so
0: and, and for me, I'm kind of at that point in my career when I go out to do an event, I want it to be fun. I want it to be something yeah. that I'm actually getting value out of. I want to enjoy the people that I work with. I want it, the money to be worth my time to make yeah. that commitment. And I want to enjoy the experience. And we've all done gigs through our careers where the enjoying the experience wasn't the thing we can check off yeah. on the list because yeah. we had to fill the calendar. Yeah. But one of the things that I have also realized that in a lot of these situations, sometimes when you're not really enjoying the experience, is because you haven't put in the preparation. Yes, true. When you are prepared for the job that you take, the joy value of it significantly increases. Exactly. O- no. Often when, when you're feeling challenged, it's because you took something that might be out of your comfort zone and you weren't willing to actually put in the time to prepare. You know, for, for an example of that, you know, we, there are, there's always songs that everyone has to play in, uh, in the club circuit that are always the ones you never really want to play. And then I realized that sometimes when you have to play some of the standards, it's not that they're not fun to play. It's just you're always playing them in situations where everyone knows that they have to do them, but no one's ever actually taken the time to learn them properly. Yes, yeah, 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 yes. And then you find yourself in a situation where you're playing the song that you usually dread, but it suddenly becomes fun because everyone in the band has actually learned it. And then you start to appreciate the music and you start to appreciate the professionalism of the people that you work with. And it suddenly makes this experience even better because what you're presenting to the audience is at a higher level because you have put in that time. And I know, for me, that's one of the challenges that I'm constantly working on, is if I take something, I want to put in the preparation time because I never want to go into a a rehearsal situation, or sometimes there is no rehearsals, where I'm looking at the set list going, I really hope time is shorter so that they have to cut a couple of songs, and I hope that they cut these ones because I didn't do my homework. And sometimes it's just a matter of... 10 minutes of your time to write out a chart, figure out the form and realize, oh, yeah. yes, it was really just a matter of I, I there was that one section I didn't realize it repeated twice. And so I think it's essential in, you know, a, as a musician to really be prepared to, to put in the time for the jobs that you do, because it's going to, in the end, really give you more opportunities yeah. and improve people's perception of you as
1: an artist. And you said it very well that exactly if you accept the gig and not having fun on it, more than half the times that you didn't prepare yourself properly for it. And like you said, like a lot of those songs, the standard songs that we play, like a lot of people ask me, go, is there any styles of songs or any songs you don't like playing? I says, I don't like playing, you know, certain songs that are maybe like standards we've done so many times, like Sweet Home Alabama, Taking Care of Business, some kind of one of those, where people just hack their way through that. Then it's mm-hmm. not fun. I've played those songs where people really put the time and effort into it and the feel, and it's like, like classic one is Brown Eyed Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even when you listen to the drum track on it, it's, it's just so I find there's no groove to that, but. You know if you really listen and play properly and everyone puts their time it's like it's an enjoyable song to play where i've played where people you know guitar player might start it too quick or you know take songs like play that funky music i mean i, I remember talking to frank corn about this it was great like we've played that song so many times but most guitar players i've ever played that with ah uh, just like ah they started they jamming it and it's too quick and it's like but Really sit down and, and, and kind of listen to it and, and play that well. I used to do this thing at my clinics years ago. I used to put on "Billy Jean" by Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. and I would invite anybody to come up and sit and play. So you know, you, you you would get you would get some guy coming up on the kit, you know, like you know, maybe a teenager is sitting, and, and they're like, "Okay, stop." Next one, come up, and everyone kind of showing off, and then you get some young kid who just probably learned to play kick snare, kick snare, and plays it. Go you're the one I want to hire because you are playing the song the way it's supposed to be as opposed to overplaying, you know, um, you know, you saw me play with that ACDC band. I remember that band was always having problems with drummers getting drummers because a lot of drummers would overplay. I mean, ACDC mm-hmm. is not about overplaying. It, it's about playing just the right amount of notes with the dynamic and stuff. Like technically you, it's not a hard gig as far as learning the actual drum part. The hard part is to have the endurance and to hold up for several hours yeah. and <laughs> you know, just just to keep things consistent with that. Um, and and just again, respecting the gig. Like I remember growing up, you know, learning drums. I mean, you know, when I would hear songs that had simple drums, I say, oh, this sucks, man. It's like, where's the guy not playing parados? Where's he not like playing like Billy Cobb or Neil Peart? You don't appreciate those songs until you know, you become mature as a musician. Like, believe it or not, one of my favorite songs to play with Epic Eagles is, and it's a Don Henley solo song, is Heart of the Matter. Mm-hmm. There's no 16-note drum fills. All the drum fills are all eighth notes. The groove is just eighth note, bass, kick, snare. But just to play that, you know, consistency, you know, the velocity, every time I hit the snare and the toms, like, that's one of the harder songs for me to play guys got to really concentrate on the simplicity of that you know well
0: it's funny because one of the songs you had brought up was billy jean and i was playing in kind of a dance band for a while and that was one of the songs in the show and it actually became one of my favorite songs of the night to play because I'm at a point in my career where I'm I'm really value how a song feels over the complexity of the part that I get to yeah. play. And yeah, yeah, so I'd, yeah. I'd always segue it because people would be on the dance floor. We finished the one song. And even if the rest of the band wasn't ready, I just started playing the Billy Jean groove. Boom, da ta, boom-da. Ta. And yeah. the dance floor would get hacked. And it would keep them there. And it just felt so good just to yeah appreciate and respect the power of simplicity.
1: Yeah, and the drummers, listen, the, I, I had I was in this band about 15, 20 years ago called Deka Dance, and all we did was like 80s, 90s, 2000 dance tunes. And all I brought on the gig was kick, snare, hi-hat, crash cymbal. Like dance music, there's no ride cymbal. And we would play Like a first set, if we did a 45-minute set, I didn't stop drumming. So I would go from one dance to the next, just keeping either four on the floor, 16, whatever. whatever. So I'd go from one song to the next, just kind of adjusting the tempo. Because I looked, if there's nobody dancing on the dance floor, it's my fault, right? It is basically my fault. So that was always the challenge for me. Okay, somebody's on the dance floor. Okay, we're going to go to the next. I got to keep them on that dance floor, right? You know, so again, the drumming wasn't hard. The hard thing was trying to do the same thing over and over consistently and keep your meter, keep your timing and
0: feel all in line. I I challenged one of my students recently with an exercise where I said, for this week, what you're going to do is I'm going to send you four different drum grooves. And, and he always does the, he always does the work. He always comes in really well prepared. But what I said to him, the challenge is you can't play or change a note that's written on the page because he always wants to embellish things. Oh, and so, yeah, and so, yeah. I, so I said to him, so my goal for you this week is, is you to master these beats. But if you add a ghost note, you add an accent, you add a fill, it's wrong. I want you to only play what's on the page. And he said it was one of the most difficult exercises I had given him in a long time, but he is in a situation where he has opportunities to, to play shows And he found that to be extremely beneficial. And then I remember once he he expressed to me that he found it really difficult sometimes when he was given songs to learn really how to how to he would sit down, he'd play along with them, but he just found it difficult to really feel comfortable with them. And I said, okay. Well, what's happening is you're playing along with the song, but you're not really analyzing the the structure of the song. So that that was what I, I challenged him. And I gave, I sent him an example, but I said, just sit down and just write down intro verse. Mm-hmm. Chorus and write out the different sections of the song and how many bars they are. Yeah, don't you don't you don't need to worry about what the parts are. You already know what the parts are because you've been yeah. playing them, but you don't yeah. know what the form is, and you don't realize that the last chorus repeats three times because you're just playing along with the record. And then he came back the following week and said that made an unbelievable difference. Yeah, yeah. and one of the things going back, you know, to the uh, the Sabian education event that we started talking about before. That, um, that came up in that discussion was that um, everyone on the panel is renowned drummers and educators. And they said the biggest challenge that they find is that people are told what to learn, what to play, but people aren't taught business skills in a lot of these environments so you go to college and you learn how to be a great drummer a great musician but you don't really learn how to pick up the phone and book a gig you yeah, don't re- yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you don't really learn how to manage your money you don't really learn how to deal with internal conflict in terms of bands because everyone can have the same vision but people have different perceptions in terms of the past to get to that collective vision and this is all parts about having to really learn how to kind of manage a career and so you talk a lot in your book too about the importance of building those relationships so what are some of the lessons that you've learned over the years both good and bad that have really given you the skill set in order to really help develop those networking and relationship skills
1: I, I would say one of the first ones is is listen, you know, first before talking You like we have two ears as opposed to one mouth, um, really remembering names like I got to tell you, I used to challenge this sometimes when I would do corporate events and I walk around and this would without people with name tags and I would just chat with people as the, warming up the room and I would ask somebody's name and I would try to find some way. To remember their name rhymes with something, I, I find if you can remember somebody's name, a huge effort. Like, you know, you go to a show like the Nam Show in Anaheim. I've been I've been doing that show on and off for thirty years, and everyone's got their name tag on with that. And it'd be interesting, like sometimes the name tags turn over, just the flip side of it, so you don't see who I am. And I would sometimes run into people that I know. I would see them at that show every year, every year, every year, and. I would remember their name right away. And some of them, we're not talking like celebrities. You know, he might be this person that works for Evans Drumheads. this one works for Gibson Guitars, whatever. And I would talk to them, and they would see me several months later, and we'd have like a lengthy conversation, even a coffee, and it's like, wow, this guy doesn't remember my name because I could see he's trying to look at my name tag, and my name tags flip Mm -hmm. the wrong way. (laughs) So, So that was a really important thing is just really remembering somebody's name and and if you can call somebody up on their name okay and a second one i just find is uh you know you know i hate when people overpromise and don't deliver okay mm-hmm. that is a big thing like i i i recently went to a christmas party a friend of mine invited me out to he was a a uh, good friend of mine, Gino Del Sol, was the guitar player in Rock of Ages. He got invited to like Christmas party of the organization. The CEO brought that into town. And so I met some really, you know, really cool people in the industry that brought all the Mervis shows to town. And I was just chatting with the his son, who was had a very entrepreneurial type of business sense. And his wife, was sorry, his mother was telling about my hot sauce business and all the things I do. And I talked to him and says, I go. I want to send you a copy of my book. I go. What? Goes? Yeah, I I wrote this book, and we're talking about the book, "Find Success as an Individual Artist." I said, I need your address, and I really think he didn't think I was going to send him that book, Mm -hmm. you know. And and I did. I said, yeah, I'm going to mail it. I'm going to send it by courier. I'm going to send it to you next week. And he got it. and He was like, "Oh my god, thank you so much for sending that." Look, he was surprised. I was like, "Well, I said I was going to do that." So so that's that that's a thing right there you know where you know live up to that now sometimes we spread ourselves too thin and and sometimes we fall in that trap we we take on too much too much this and that and then all of a sudden it's like you're going you're going to let somebody down i mean i got my organization skills pretty good now have i ever double booked myself yeah it it has happened i mean this is you know, the day and age before technology, we're we're writing things down. I remember being on vacation in Paris and I somehow was checking my emails and I had some drum workshops booked at some, I can't remember, I think it was a retirement. It was, Hey Jeff, are you running late? I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm in Paris. And I'm like, I forgot, I forgot to cancel that. So, so the lesson I've kind of learned in that it's so easy to, you know, so much information that we don't write things down right away and stuff. You kind of like, hey, I'll remember that. I'll remember that. I mean, I have a pretty good memory for a lot of things and stuff like that. But, you know, so there's the lessons I learned there. It goes, you know, sometimes we can get exhausted. Sometimes we get tired. Uh, let, let, let's let let's write things down, you know, put things down on paper and stuff so you don't forget, you know, but uh, I it just just. Uh, a comment back on the previous thing you were saying about getting, I just wanted to touch base. It made me think of this. When you're saying getting a student to try to play something that's is not on the chart and it's like, if you play an extra note, if you do this and that, I used to do that with students reading charts. If they played an extra note, they had to bring me a coffee next week. <laughs> but, but but I'll tell you the funny thing about that is So when I came out with that book, Messing with the Bowl, the funk bowl, when I was doing all the examples for it, the play along, the hardest thing was, especially if it was an advanced groove, that, you know, you play the groove so many times that you might have different embellishments on it. You might have an open hi hat here next time around. You might not do an open hi hat. So the thing is, like I remember trying to record, and you want to record exactly what's in the book because if people are going to read that in the book, it says, "Well, he's hitting his first tom there, but here it's written on hi hat." So that was a hard discipline thing, right there. Anyways, I got off topic. I just I wanted to share how hard that is sometimes to play exactly what's on paper and not overplay, that's
0: tough. Well it's funny I've recently started to get into doing some musical theater pit orchestra things which is something that I had really been interested in doing for years and I fortunately got involved in a in a small community uh, student theater thing which has given me some great opportunities but when I'm looking at a lot of those charts a lot of the charts on them are fairly simplistic and yes. you sometimes think okay well there is there's a level of interpretation where they're kind of these are a guideline and you have yes. to interpret things. And then there are other times when I would go in, I did one last year, and and I played everything exactly was that it was on the chart. And I realized in that case, I could have interpreted and changed some things, but what I played on the chart exactly fit in with what the rest of the orchestra was playing. And in that situation, you really are like a percussionist in an orchestra rather than a drummer in a rock and roll band. And yeah. so I started to get great joy out of being respectful to the page, which then led me to being hired again for other opportunities because I did exactly what was expected of me. And I, I like that particular challenge, but it all, uh, but it also comes down to confidence. You can have the skill set. You can go in. You can have all the parts together. But if you don't sound and present yourself in a way that's confident, then even though you are prepared, you don't sound prepared.
1: And and that's the mo- that's the most important is just being being prepared. I will not allow myself not to be prepared. Because people... You know what? People ask me, do you get nervous when you play and perform? I said, never. I go, really? I go, never. Because it's not being prepared that's going to get you nervous if you're not confident. So walking out on... Like, I'm not a vocalist. But if you ask me to go and say, hey, your singer's not feeling well tonight. Can you sing Hotel California? I'm like, oh my gosh. I, now I'm terrified. Because right? that's, that's not my thing. I don't do that. But being prepared for that... Uh, one thing that I... I and I find this is really important. We've all accepted gigs where it could be a one-day project. It could be a weekend project. It could be a, a month's course where you're teaching something once a week. Where we realize when we got into it, we don't enjoy it. It's not our thing. Like like, like one thing that I've always said to my students, I will try every gig want to see if it's like I've done cruise ship gigs where and, and every aspect playing with the orchestra, I'm playing the top 40 band, playing the tribute bands, playing in the pit orchestra, I'm playing the little duo thing. I've done every type of guy. I've played in a symphony. I have played in an orchestra. I've done everything <laughs> just to see, do I like it or I don't? So what sometimes people do is they'll, they'll show up on a gig and they're like, oh, these are the songs tonight. and like And then they have this negative attitude And everything will just kind of be like a ripple effect throughout the whole night's miserable. I've done things where I'm like, oh, my gosh, why did I accept this gig like this is not. But I don't project. I keep that inside myself. I will be most professional. I'll complete the job. If it's a job, that's maybe like a one hour session. I've done some recording some CDs with some of the musicians like, oh, my gosh, this this music's terrible. But you know what? I said yes to it. That's my own fault. I'm going to do the best job i can i'm not going to complain i'm going to get through it and i've done that with a lot of gigs Uh, so it's sometimes hard i call it force festive you get through it you know i remember i sat in with an it was going to be a really fun thing they said it was going to be world music, but it wasn't it wasn't that at all they're saying going to be playing you know congas bongos and they said it was going to have this cuban feel but you know three quarters of it there was nothing. I was counting more bars of rest. Yes. And there was no and and, and what I was playing was very simple. I could have played with one hand and, mm-hmm. you know, drank a Cuban coffee with the other. Like and I didn't care for the music. So it was false information given to me. There was like three rehearsals and two concerts, but I didn't complain about it. I just was moving forward when they offered me the gig again, then it was my place to speak well, I actually thought the music was going to be a little more challenging and more involved. That was the time for me to speak, not there and then, because I'm committed to it. I got to get the job done. So I have a choice, bitch and complain about it or, Hey, eat it up and get through it.
0: I heard a quote recently and it was something along the lines of you're, you're, you're never too good for any job you say yes to.
1: Yes exactly
0: so if you agree to do it the expectation is that you're gonna go in and you're gonna knock it out of the park because you agreed to do that um, i also once did a recording session a number of years back and it was for this project that didn't have a lot of sort of studio experience and i remember going in and we had run through a bunch of different takes and i think i nailed everything in the first or second take and it turned out to be a really long day and i remember just observing the people there and they were really nervous because they'd never been in a studio situation before. And I was pretty comfortable in that environment. And I suddenly realized my job here is not to play drum parts. My job here is to uplift them, encourage them and make them feel really good about their experiences, which is going to make them a better job and then they would go through and they would be struggling some things and they would take a little bit of a coffee break and then they'd be down and i would walk out and i would just start raving about you know that one little section that they had done that was actually very good and i would encourage them and uplift them then they would go back into the studio and they would nail it in the second take and then they would feel inspired because The environments that you're in can often really dictate Outcome the the, the 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 emotions and the extra challenges that you didn't anticipate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard you sort of talk before about this, and sometimes it's you know the biggest challenges of the gig are is not playing the music. It's where am I going to park? Hmm. Um, what time do I need to load in? Oh, um, do. Uh, do I have to wear a certain outfit? Do I have to do all the things that weren't weren't really discussed? You
1: know know what my biggest stress, when I do a corporate gig downtown, I've got, especially when I did this thing for that Christmas party, you know what my biggest stress thing is like, I'm comfortable with the gig. I know what I'm going to, how I'm going to deliver my corporate drum circle stuff, synergy success. You know where I get nervous is it's downtown. I got my van, my cargo van. None of those places downtown Toronto I need seven foot clearance to get my van underground parking. I'll tell you a story. Years ago, I did something for, I did something for First Mortgage Group and the venue was down by, I forget the name of the thing, but it was like University in Wellington and it was during rush hour. And I had a student helper that I had to park my van so far away, like at Spadina and King. So, you know, if anyone doesn't know that distance, we're talking about a good, you know, like three, four kilometer John And I'm running there because I'm just stressed <laughs> out because so a lot of times with the stuff with my van. So I, I have I have a funny story about that being stressed. with it. did the the uh, Toronto Waterfront Festival with my group Enviro Drum? This is where they had the big, you know, the big duck on display, the big yellow yeah. duck. Yeah. I did this before COVID, and the biggest stress I had was there was nowhere to unload, park down there. And this is my percussion group environment. So we've got buckets and pails and trash cans that I park so far away, like bathers in front, and I'm (laughs) running to it. So when they booked me this year, I charged an increase in price quite a bit because I didn't know the parking situation. But here's where I got fortunate. When I got down there, I saw where the yellow duck was and I saw a guy goes, no, you can't park. It goes, no, I'm unloading equipment. When I went in there unload equipment, I saw there was a crane, a bulldozer and a couple pylons. Well, my van looks like a work truck. Guess what? I left my (laughs) van there. I put pylons around it. They thought I was a work truck and it was a stress fee. But you're right. A lot of it's not about the music thing. It's about the loading, the parking situation, um just like like the easiest part sometimes is just holding the sticks and playing, right? It's all the other stuff that, that makes it stressful and stuff, you know. But uh yeah. Oh boy.
0: What are some of the biggest Lessons that you've learned throughout your career based on things that you originally
1: weren't prepared for. You know what? I, I would say, you know, if, if you don't get the gig, like like let like, like you go audition, like not not they, you know, they say statistically, one out of every 28 people get the gig. And let's say something happens, just you know, just let it let it go or, you know, or like OK, for example, you play a song and you mess up the song or something like that. OK, so I remember uh just a gig we did recently, the last gig where we we're, were playing a big theater Centennial Hall, we're running video. The video wasn't working. So you're like, so if something happens, you try to smoothly come out is just to let it go. Like, you don't want to be goes, oh, man, gosh, you know, what's the other to think we messed up? Oh, God, just. Let it go. Listen, I remember years ago I auditioned to be a sub 20 years ago in Blue Man Group playing the drums. I mean, long time ago I auditioned. I just started my studio. I had a chance to keep going further in that, but it was a conflict. So they call me back to do this thing. So I show up at the gig. You're gonna love this one, right? Come at the gig, the drum set there, I go do the audition play play the song. Within the first, it's not my drum set, within the first three bars, the bass drum beater flies off. The, <laughs> the, the beater. So, because it's a live audition, so now I resort to the floor tom as my bass. And I think they were aware that happened. So we went through it, goes, hey guys, your beater fluff, off, can we try it again? It goes, sorry man, um, shit happens. I didn't get a chance to do it again. And I'm like, it wasn't my fault. And what I realized at the time, I was just holding that in, you know, lesson learned. Less. I, I just gotta let it go. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't meant to be. So I, I, I think, I think one of the things, because a lot of times we get down about that stuff. It's like, oh, I didn't get the gig. That guy got the gig. Wow. So I try to learn that in the positive thing. Okay, why did that guy get the gig? Okay, I want to, I want to get inspired by him. Okay, what did he do or she did that? They got it over me. I want to lose that as a lesson I, to help improve myself. So I would say that's the, one of the big lessons that I've learned is just don't hold that grudge to yourself. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Life goes on. You know, shit doesn't happen because, you know, we've all been in that situation. We're not all going to get the gig. Like I said, that typical example of Blue Man Group, I walked out of that because I was so upset and disappointed because it was beyond my control beyond my control you know and and the worst thing about it i had a friend who was auditioned after me he was a left-handed drummer and they didn't even allow him to switch the set around so his situation was worse than mine so i i I would say that would be a a a big lesson because we're not going to get any especially now like on social media like you might see something like you know i see bands like oh wow look at that you know Friends of mine are going next week. They're going to do a gig in Dubai, and I'm like, "Well, why didn't Urban get booked on that?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's how it goes, you know. Like, I mean, where years ago I would hold that because Man, you know, how come we didn't get like a? Hey, I'm happy for my friends who got booked over there. So, I, I would say that's a big lesson to learn. Is just because if you keep getting down on yourself, this and stress, you're going to kill yourself. You're just gonna you're gonna burn out mentally, and you don't want that. You know,
0: sometimes we resent the opportunities we didn't get more than value the ones that we did. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly with social media, that sometimes can make it even more difficult these days. And I know yeah. you're fairly active on social media in terms of a lot of the posts and things that you have. But one of the things that I, I like a lot about what you do is that you you post, a, it's always very positive, It's always very encouraging and it's always very much about a process. You're always documenting your process that you're going through to learn and to get better. And, and I find that inspiring because I like to see people post the process rather than the result because then what happens is that there's a perception that the end result, is the process not all of the the blood sweat yeah. and tears that go up to the things and I think it's really important that people realize that this is a this is a journey this is just not um an opportunity or an experience and we have to appreciate put in the efforts value ourselves and the opportunities and really build up to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly,
1: you know. And we keep learning. I just learned to handle situations differently. And 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 so be it, you know, I mean, the, you know, there was a situation this year, you know, where there was a good opportunity for my hot sauce thing. But unfortunately, it was a little let down. A little. I was disappointed about it. But that's life. I'm like, OK, it wasn't meant to be, you know, at first I was really bummed out. I was, no, no, Jeff, take that same mindset with music wasn't meant to be move on. Right. Let it go. And that's it. Right.
0: So, for people that are interested in learning more about all the endeavors and things that you have on the go or will want to reach out to you to hire you or to, sure. to to connect with you as an educator what's the best way to keep in
1: touch um You know what it seems like a lot of people are using just instagram Salem at Salem Drum. Uh, that, I I just I just had a guy message me today, of a former student from twenty years ago wants to get back in the drums on that. So yeah, I guess my Instagram would be the easiest one, at Salem Drum. Send me a message to that, and that's the one thing I've always you know in the business thing, return calls. You know, and um, I I look at them in three different categories. If if somebody calls and goes, hey buddy, I haven't seen you in a long time, you know, let's touch base. Now with texting, like hey, I got your message. Uh, I'm pretty busy a few days. I'll give you a call in a couple of days. With today's technology, I'll always acknowledge a message, pretty pretty asap. Like even though, even when I'm really busy, like I mean, when you text me all the time, I reply pretty quickly to you. You do, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, and a lot and a lot of times I am tied up maybe with something, but I'll like do that where. That's an important thing I try to tell students. If I ask somebody a question, it's like be on top of it, because guess what? If somebody calls you for a gig and you don't respond ASAP, they're going to go to the next phone call. So there, there's a lesson right there you know, you asked about lesson that be on top of replying to people immediately, you know, so if somebody if somebody messes me right now after you post this in a couple of weeks, you know, I want drum lessons. I'll be on that within 30 minutes, you know,
0: <laughs> one of my pet peeves is along that lines is um acknowledge that you had got the message and then yeah. even if it's hey i'll respond later on if you say i'm going to respond in a couple of days respond in a couple of days yeah. but my, yeah. my biggest thing is when people respond but they don't answer the question that you asked yes. in the first place yeah because a lot of times it's like are you available for a gig sure yes yeah, Hey, what's the date and then like it's a couple of days and then they say Here's the date. Oh, okay. What is the gig? Yeah. What
1: does it pay? And then you, and then you wait. I can go on about <laughs> people booking and buyers, but I won't get into that with that as well too. But it's like, exactly, I think you sent me a text message. I was doing a drumming event. I was setting up, you said, Jeff, I sent you a link on for this. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'll check. And and I think I replied, go, yeah, I got the email. I think yeah. I said something like, dude, you know, just like, Yes, that that that's the thing that's going to make a difference for you getting calls consistently. And
0: I didn't need you to respond to the email, but just acknowledging that, yeah. hey, you got the yeah. link, great. Yeah. Because then yeah. I know we're good. Yeah, we set I, up. You know, and that's sort of my comfort level. You know, it's yeah. like you know, yeah. give me the information. Um, be proactive. I'm always going to respond quickly because that's just the way I like to do business. So Perfect. I'm I greatly admire the things that you've accomplished. I really value you. You both as an educator and I know that I've taken some lessons with you in the past that have been very beneficial and Thank I you. definitely appreciate our friendship and I look forward to connecting again at some point later on this year when we've got some time so we'll have to set up some time yeah. and I'll, I'll 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 take you out for lunch to to thank you for i, your, I would love to do time. that
1: and, and and thank you for choosing this as the agenda about my book and stuff and like i said you know if anyone's interested in that that that's through my website just drums in you like the letter u.com
0: I'll, uh, I'll post the link to that on oh, okay. uh, on this okay. site,
1: and and I will
0: definitely continue to promote this book because I think it's a, an ex- exceptional work that I have read multiple times Thank and you. Con- continues to be of value to me. So, oh, that means a lot to me.
1: Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate
0: it. It's always a pleasure. So all the best for uh, 2024, and I look forward to connecting soon. It sounds great. Thanks, buddy. Nice chatting with you. All the best, too. Thanks, Jeff. You're welcome. listening to the drummers pathway podcast please share and subscribe get the word out and let's keep the discussion going thanks for listening and i'll see you next time